Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream, presented by Gettle. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Exciting news! Gettle is now the official HVAC partner of the Anaheim Ducks and the Honda Center. Keeping things cool on the ice and warm at home. Gettle, your trusted HVAC and plumbing partner. Visit Gettle.com slash Ducks for exclusive promotions. G-O-E-T-T-L. We make comfort easy to spell. Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Now let's get to today's show. The NHL regular season is here. We're already in week two, actually, and the Ducks... 30th anniversary season is officially underway. It got going over the weekend with a trip to Vegas to take on the Vegas Golden Knights on opening night for the Ducks season after they had to wait all week long. They were the very last team in the NHL to start their season. And Vegas is a tough place to start. Certainly at T-Mobile Arena, it is not easy, especially when you're taking on the defending Stanley Cup champions. Now, despite a 4-1 to loss, it was a lot closer of a game than that. We saw the debut of Pavel Minchikov and some of the young guys in the lineup like Jackson Lacombe, Jamie Drysdale. Just good to see those young players getting an early start in this season. And overall, looking at the play from the team, just improved defensive play overall, keeping the guys to the outside on plays, playing more physical, using their bodies, and really just protecting that net front. Those were some of the things that stood out to me from that game. Just needing to finish at times, especially in that third period. But hey, the Ducks took all the positives from Saturday and applied them in their Home opener on Sunday when they took on the Carolina Hurricanes. Quite a fun day that was, especially beginning with the plum carpet. For those of you that tried to listen live to the plum carpet on Duck Stream, I'm so sorry. We had some equipment issues because the sun was just frying our equipment and it was so hot out there. I think it was like 90 plus degrees, but we made it work and you can actually catch the interviews and everything from the plum carpet on demand, wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can check back to last episode, episode number 107 of Light the Lamp to catch up on the plum carpet with the interviews in that. And hey, that game was so much fun on Sunday as the Ducks took down the Hurricanes 6-3, to a hat trick from Frank Vitrano, Pavel Minchikov's first NHL goal, Jackson Lacombe's first NHL point on an assist on that goal, Ryan Strom's 400th career point, Luke Ostostal in the net, lights out, getting his first win of the season in his season debut. And hey, head coach Greg Cronin gets his very first NHL win as a head coach. Great Sunday energy. The atmosphere in Honda Center was off the charts. So much fun. I want to keep that going. So if you're coming to the game this week at Honda Center on Thursday against the Dallas Stars, or if you're coming this weekend when they take on the Boston Bruins, bring that energy because it was so awesome to see inside Honda Center. And to talk more about the Anaheim Ducks today, that leads me to today's guest, one of the first guests for this new 2023-24 NHL season here on Light the Lamp, a returner from last season, Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet joined the stream to talk with me about what he thinks about the Anaheim Ducks so far going into this season and who could have a big year on this team. 
Plus, find out more on his Paul Korea jersey collection. Take a listen. Welcome on to Light the Lamp Now. Returning guest from last season, Sportsnet's Jeff Merrick. Jeff, it's been a while. How are you doing? How was your yeah. season? I'm doing good. Uh, the off season was quick. It seems as if every year the off season gets quicker and quicker. Like it felt like we had just awarded the Stanley Cup, had a couple of naps, and then we're right back to it. But that's okay because you know it's you know always the happiest time of year when there's NHL hockey being played. Can I ask you a question? Can I start by can I start this by being host? Yeah, yeah go ahead. What's can up? You, can you? Can you take me on a tour of what's over your left shoulder right now? Yeah, of course. So this is uh, the Paul Korea locker here in the Paul Korea studio. Uh, his stick, an old jersey of his, uh, his helmet up there, and gloves, too. I love it. I love it. I may own, like, of all the, I'm not much of a jersey collector, but for whatever reason, I have more Paul Korea jerseys than anything else in my cupboard. This past summer, you asked how the summer was, mm -hmm. I started to actually clean up my basement and started to clean out a lot of different things. And one of the things that I discovered was I have Anaheim Ducks Korea jerseys. I have a bunch of Team Canada wow. uh, Paul Korea jerseys as well. At one point, I had a main Black Bears Korea. Really? I don't know where that, I know, I don't know where that ended up. I, I really wish I had that. Now, he was always one of my favorites. And I, I just threw this out on Twitter. Someone, a hockey mm -hmm. samurai, it was a great hockey follow. I just sort of threw it out there. Like, can you imagine Paul Korea in, in today's NHL? And a lot of people fired back like, oh, elite player back in college, NHL, all this stuff. And a lot of people firing back like, yeah, him and Pavel Bure, these types of players mm -hmm. would just so thrive in this uh, in this NHL where I mean, the, the one thing about Korea is, too, he was able to produce even in an era where he had, you know, gorillas on his back, mm -hmm. like every single game being dragged down and hooked and slashed. To me, the story of Paul Craig is one of my favorite. I'm going to start gushing here, Alexis, about Paul Korea. <laughs> he he survived and skated through all of it yeah. and took like an insane amount of punishment. Like, he, like I would hate to see what his body was like by the time he finally wrapped up, mm -hmm. because I can think of, you know, uh, only a handful of players that may have taken more punishment to get the results that Korea did. One of my favorites, I still, even though he's in the Hall of Fame, I still don't think that History remembers him as well as they should, because Paul Korea was just like simply one of the elites of all time. What a what a player. So that makes that makes me smile when I see Korea there over your over your left shoulder. Yeah, we're really lucky to have this awesome studio and have some of his equipment. Fantastic. Behind us, but it's funny. What's on the whiteboard? What's on the whiteboard oh, now? You what see autographs? More. Okay, so yeah, give well, me the once tour. You, once you hopefully come to Anaheim at some time, whenever we have guests on our show or that come in studio, we have them sign. The p this piece of oh, game used wow. glass. So these are all the guests that have been in our studio. Uh, a lot of different names on here. Uh, yeah. But Korea's is hey, right there, so. there's Korea. <laughs> oh, I love it. And Dan Wood underneath. Dan, keep you don't belong, Dan, in that conversation. Get away from Korea. How dare you sign that close to Paul Korea, Dan Wood? There's there's some good names up there too. We've added we've added a lot. We actually took a log this summer of all the names uh, from last. Oh, that's awesome! To get ready for this year. <laughs> and I see my buddy Jackie Redmond's on there too. Yeah, I have a special place in my heart for Jack. Mm -hmm. We worked together for years. Um, a huge fan of the London Knights of the of the OHL, and I remember having a conversation with her in makeup when she talked about this offer that she was getting in the states for, uh, for the from the NHL network. And what should I do? And should I go? And 
it was one of those, look, you're young, just follow your heart, like just follow. And man, what a star she's become. I got, I got all day, all day for Jack. She's, she's one of my, she's one of my favorites. I totally agree. Anyway. I love her yeah, too. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Well, you were talking about Paul Korea, so I have to tell you too. So okay. this year as our 30th anniversary, we're having these special mm -hmm. legacy nights throughout the season. There's three of them. And the first one which is in November, is actually Paul Korea's bobblehead night. So maybe we can get you a Paul Korea bobblehead that I can send you. Uh, well, I've got a space over here on my daily radio slash television show. I just put up something that I got from uh, Buffalo, which was in, uh, in the Buffalo Sabres home opener, RJ. Oh, yeah, yeah. RJ's way from Rick, Rick Jenneret. So I think maybe Alexis, something over, right over here <laughs> with the microphone, like, Paul Korea okay. right there. I mean, I could do some type of Anaheim something. Yeah. Anaheim something right there. A Korea bobblehead would look nice. And just saying. Just yep, saying. Yep. Okay. We'll get it. We'll just get saying. it to you. Yeah. In November. <laughs> I'm in. I, I'm in. Well, I feel like, too, we should uh, start by talking about the Ducks then, too. Sure. And uh, it's it's interesting because Paul Korea is also a good friend to our new head coach, Greg Cronin. And they talk about yeah. all the time how they love to surf together. So yes, I've gotten to yes. a little bit more Long Island surfer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now they're surfing on the West coast together, but uh, yeah. yeah. So when you look at this new ducks team under Greg Cronin, what's been your impression so far? I mean, it's obviously very early in the season, but what's potential. been your impression? It's, it's potential, right? Like it's like, this is, you know, you, you judge there's, there's, there's two types of teams. This is going to go like back to like little Jeffrey university of Guelph first year philosophy reading, um, reading Plato, Aristotle would always talk about everything existing in two states. Everything in the world exists in two states. It exists in a, a, a state of potentiality or actuality. Like there are some teams that we know that are like fully formed. Like these are Stanley Cup potential teams. Like this is the best they're going to be. And then there are teams that exist in actual in, in potentiality. And that's kind of how I see the Anaheim Ducks. And I think we all see them the same way. First of all, the first thing you can't help but think of when you look at Anaheim and sort of study what's underneath the hood here is this murderer's row of prospects mm -hmm. and like how many elite players like are on the horizon at every single position. And, you know, we fully expect at some point, you know, Lucas Dostal is going to be the starting netminder for the Anaheim Ducks. Take your pick of however many young defensemen uh, that we're seeing right now uh, around other junior hockey or San Diego are going to be patrolling the blue line. Um, and it was really nice to see Pavel Minchikov um, uh, score his first goal. Uh, Jackson Lacombe with the assist. Here's my question. Who actually got the puck? by the way, because it was at a first assist for one and first goal for the other. Yeah. And they both showed up in a photograph with tape pucks. With pucks. Who got the actual one, Ooh, Downey? I don't Who know. Who got the real puck? I'm guessing Minchikov because it's Pavel. the goal, but yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm just throwing that out there. But I'll like, it's, 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 it's a murderer's role of prospects. Right. And, and now the sensitivity as a, as a, as a coach, or as a manager in this situation is how do you create an environment where you're not just handing kids jobs? Mm -hmm. You know, we talk so much about blocking and then at a certain point you have to stop blocking all your prospects. Like right now you look at Detroit Red Wings, for example, and they've got a defenseman named Simon Edvinson, who's playing in the American Hockey League and on a lot of teams, he'd probably already be in the NHL, but Steve Eisman has put players in front of him. So he doesn't just get handed a job 
he earns one. So this is now, I would imagine, the strategy for the uh, for the manager, for Pat Verbeek here. How do we not just nurture and develop these prospects, but put them in a position where they don't just get handed a job, they have to take a job from someone else. It's one thing to, to just get it handed to you, and it's another to earn it. And when you earn a job and take someone else's spot, you hold on to it like like it's like it's sacred. Like I think about, I mean, you know, this like that Oilers team that had like Eberly and Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I remember the the Oilers used to have this sign in the dressing room, earned, not given. And I walk in, I go like, well, you just handed all these guys spots and you handed them in normal. like, what was earned here? Like this was all just given. That, that's got to be one of the sensitivities um, if, if you're Pat Verbeek. How do we surround them with the right amount of veterans and do the right amount of blocking so they don't just get handed a spot here? How we sort of make it a little bit more difficult and put a couple of hurdles in the way. But listen, the story of Anaheim is well told and everybody who follows this team knows at every single position they have prospects mm -hmm. and i know that coaches like coaches aren't in the green banana business they don't care about prospects they want players right. give me fully formed players but if you can have your head coach on the same page as your manager and putting out young kids in key situations because their growth in some ways is more important than two points or walking away with one point from a game then you've really got a really good development system so all the potential is there it's sitting there for the Anaheim Ducks, not just to be a good team, but maybe be a great team as well. Is there a player on the roster this season that you're looking to maybe have a bigger year this year on the Ducks? I love Mason McTavish. I can't lie. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I, I'm, I'm such a huge fan. Um, I think this guy's guy. It's probably unfair to say he's going to be to this. He's going to mean to this team what Ryan Gesloff meant to this team. But as I look at you know, who's on the roster and who's on the horizon. If you're looking for like the next big leader on this team or the player that, you know, you mentioned Cronin as a coach, you want to, you want to know that when you tap a player on the shoulder, that you know what he's going to do when he jumps over the boards and you know what you're going to get out of him. When you have young players, sometimes it can kind of be a little bit of a circus because the skill is elite, but like at the same time, we're playing an NHL game Mason McTavish has so many pro qualities about him and has had pro qualities about him going back to when he played uh, junior hockey with the, the Peterborough Peets and, and then later Hamilton with Steve Sayos. Um, I just think the world of this guy, I think he's going to be a number one center for a decade uh, with the Anaheim Ducks. And the only question is, you know, how great is this guy going to be? Because he checks every single box. He's one of these hockey lifer guys, the 24-7 hockey guy. Because, you know, some guys at the end of the year, like, ugh. My season's done. I don't want anything to do with hockey. He's the guy that still watches the, all the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Like he's the guy that goes home and isn't going to watch a movie. He's going to watch hockey games. Like I love guys like that. So for me to pick one, um, I'm I'm taking I'm taking McTavish hands down. Jamie Drysdale too. I like Drysdale a ton. Yeah, I was going to say like Drysdale he's had a quite an impact just ba being back on the blue line already in the the two games that the team has played. Can I tell you something about yes. Drysdale? The Toronto Marlies are an elite level minor hockey operation in the GTHL, the Greater Toronto Hockey League. It's like, you know, creme de la creme, elite program has been forever. That organization has never had a manager of a team like Jamie Drysdale's mom. 
The legend of Drysdale is about, you can ask about this. Tell us about your mom as, as the as the Marley's manager. She was, as as reputation goes, the greatest. It's just, on the one hand, you're proud of your boy because he's going to, to, to play junior hockey in the OHL. But that organization took a knee when Jamie Drysdale's mom aged out with her son and wasn't managing <laughs> managing minor hockey teams. But I I, I have all day for Drysdale too. So yeah, McTavish and Drysdale are my two guys. Okay. Well, what about Leo Carlson? Just his first year and making the roster and just seeing what he could probably learn from this first NHL season and you know what skills he can hone in on in this first year. I think you have the makings of a great two-way center here. You know, I think that you have the the first of all, highly intelligent, highly skilled player, um, someone who's not shy. Um, every year there's one player at the draft that at the beginning of the season almost seems like an outsider looking in, and then by the end, uh, all of a sudden is taken second or third overall. We think of Miro Heiskanen in, in Dallas, who was that guy, and Leo Carlson was that guy in the uh, in the most recent draft. Um, I, I think the world of Carlson too, and if you believe you win Stanley Cups down the middle. Um, then the Anaheim Ducks are looking fantastic. I, I think that he's a, 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 just like McTavish, like a really smart player, mm-hmm. you know, like with a guy like Trevor Zegras, like Zegras is just like elite skill and it's jaw dropping. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that he's not a smart hockey player, but I, I look at a player like McTavish and I look at a player like Carlson and say, there's already a real pro polish about them, or you can at least see the beginnings of a real pro polish about them. Again, Anaheim, you know this, Lex, like Anaheim's got elite talent mm-hmm. and you can see it at every single position, blue line, back end, and specifically right down the middle with a lot of their players, but throw Carlson in that mix for sure. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Light the Lamp. And just a reminder too, that we have exciting news. Gettle is now the official HVAC partner of the Anaheim Ducks and the Honda Center keeping things cool on the ice and warm at home. Gettle, your trusted HVAC and plumbing partner. Visit gettle.com slash ducks for exclusive promotions. G-O-E-T-T-L. We make comfort easy to spell. Now back to the interview. You already mentioned his name, Lukas Stahl, another guy that has been impressive. I mean, just getting the start for the home opener for the Ducks. Yeah. He was someone that going through training camp, I felt like no one was talking about that. Who is behind John Gibson? Is it going to be Dostal? Is it going to be Staylock and Dostal? I spoke with him about just all the training he did in the off season and just how confident he was feeling. So I'm curious mm. too. I mean, you touched, you touched on that. Uh, where do you see him fitting in that goaltender? role with John Gibson? Only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. O- only a matter of time. I mean, this this story is uh, in, in, in any sport. I mean, it, it, you can see what the progression is going to be from from what net one net minder to the next. And like, though Stal will always defer to Gibson, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gibson knows like this. This kid's on the horizon. You look at the future of, of the of the Anaheim Ducks and, and, and where John Gibson is right now. Um, I don't think it would be any surprise to anyone. Like it almost seems like if it's just a matter of time before Lucas Dostal is the is the number one netminder here. He's got an elite, elite level uh work ethic. I remember um I remember talking to Sudzi about him. We had him on the podcast and God, I have all day for him. And uh and Sudzi just went on about how hard this guy works. And how much of a like the minute he came over, looked, composed himself, acted like a professional. Mm -hmm. 
And he was, he was saying like, you know, uh, John Gibson's not giving up the crease. Like he's not giving up the crease, but when that crease is ready, that, you know, Dostal is going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. What was your impression of the new 30th anniversary jerseys too? Now seeing them on the ice. Pretty cool. Hey. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, the, the, I the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the one, the, the one area I've always, I've always maintained this uh, and I'm not a big, like compare sports like compare hockey to basketball or baseball or football, but I've always felt the one area, the one area where hockey had every other sport licked was the Jersey. Mm -hmm. Like to me, there is nothing better than the hockey Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, It got baseball beat, got basketball beat, you got football beat. Like there's nothing cooler than the Jersey. I like it. Um, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Like when, when this organization started, because I wasn't really a huge fan of the movies. I know that dates me, um, but it's but it's grown on me over the over the years. And then it's amazing when you see something through your kids' eyes, how much it changes you. Mm-hmm. So Alex is like, I'm 100% turned around on on all of that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I the the 30th anniversary jerseys, I I totally dig. Um, like this is an organization that I like a lot. Like this is, this is an organization, um, like, you know, the Samueli family, like I've talked to Brian Burke about this countless times about what the Samueli family does charity wise, um, how they treat people in the organization, uh, what they mean to the community, um, you know, how they, how they feel about this organization and the place that it has in its community and they will look down, you know, years of, of losing money and saying like, we still need to do the right thing for this team and the right thing for this organization. So at every single level, it seems as if, you know, Anaheim more so than not does the, does the right thing, regardless of what it's going to cost them. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful success story. And I can't wait to see, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I can't wait to see the California teams all good at the same time. Yeah. Right. Like this used to be, man, these, these games, like, and they were nasty, yeah. like any yeah. like LA versus Anaheim. What a nasty, nasty rivalry. Yeah. San Jose in the mix, like all of it, but those LA and Anaheim games, I mean, some of them would take like three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. You just clean up, picking up sticks and gloves. <laughs> uh, I, I really want to return uh, to those days. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, with a guy like Radko Gudis, we might have a little bit of that this year. <laughs> so, so here, 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 here became, I did like, like an hour on this on, on the radio show a couple of days ago. Okay. Um, so Gudis catches the mute with a great hip check. Now, one of the great lost arts in the NHL is the hip check. And you understand why, because if you miss as a defenseman, you're out of the play and it's odd man rush the other way. It's a really, really highly skilled and dangerous skill to have. Mm-hmm. Like if you can catch someone consistently with hip checks, we saw Rasmus Dallin, who was it? Uh, in the Buffalo, New York Rangers, Philip Heedle. So Rasmus Dallin catches Philip Heedle um, last week, and we saw Gudis with Lemieux on the weekend. And I really hope that that this is the beginning of the return of the great hip check. Now, your old, 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 old viewers and listeners are going to know names like Leo Boyvin, who I go way back, who used to torture Rocket Richard of the Montreal Canadiens with devastating hip checks. He was, to me, he was like the OG. Uh, but there have been some great hip checkers through history. We think of Ryan Marchment. Uh, Charlie McAvoy is really good at it in Boston. Um, Keith Ballard was elite at it as well. I just hope 
that whether it's Gudis or whether it's Rasmus Dallin, and we've seen them from, from both, I just hope this is the beginning of a trend and we start to see more hip checks because it's one of the coolest things, especially when the guy flips over in midair <laughs> after yeah. a hip check. And yeah, Gudis is a, Gudis is a nasty bit of business, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you know this, you he see him up close in person on now. He's, he's just like, he's just a wall. Like you just feel like you're running into something so solid. And the other thing about Gudis too, and this is what, because the Toronto Maple Leafs tried to get Gudis for the longest time. And I I think, I think, um, I think, I think, I think that Edmonton may have tried to get Gudis last year as well too. If you look, if you look at from an underlying numbers point of view, because we just think of Gudis as like, oh, he's this killer on the ice. Like keep your heads up when Gudis is out there. His underlying numbers for a lot of years have been really, really good. Like actually what he does and what happens when he's on the ice, I think is one of the more underrated elements about it. I know the Maple Leafs specifically with Kyle Dubas tried to bring him in for for years and years, but was never able to complete the deal. So cherish your Gudis. He is one of a kind (laughs) Anaheim fans. Cherish your Gudis. You talk about some of, you know, the things that stand out to you already, but what are some storylines or just anything, uh, you know, early in the NHL season that you're, you're keeping your eye on, uh, Mm. you know, or anything that stands out to you, a team, a player, anything along those lines? Um, that's a great question. There's a lot. I'm (laughs) curious to see who the Calgary flames are. You know, I think that, uh, first of all, um, the balance of power in the West, as you all know, has shifted. Uh, it used to be all about the central division. Um, and now it's about the Pacific. And as you know, there are killers in the Pacific. It is a really, really, it's a tough division and there's elite teams. I mean, the cup lives in the Pacific. Uh, the Oilers who many think can win the cup are in the Pacific, the Los Angeles Kings, um, you know, various people picking them to to go far. Eric Engels picking them to the, to the Stanley Cup or a colleague at sportsnet.ca. Um, but to be the wild card in it are the Calgary Flames. Too good to be as bad as they were last season. And if they can get Jacob Markstrom, and if you look at his career, it's kind of been flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. It's kind of been like a like a, like a a toilet seat at a stag and doe, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. If he can go back to the Jacob Markstrom that we saw, sorry, a crass analogy. Uh, if we go back to the, to the, to the Jacob Markstrom we saw two seasons ago or anywhere close to it, yeah. that I think the Calgary Flames are okay. They might be the most intriguing team to me. And then in the Eastern Conference, which one of Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa are ready to take that next step yeah. and jump into a playoff picture? We'll see. My money's on Buffalo. Not looking so good. Although big say, win against big win against start. Tampa. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's good to see Devin Levi win that game against Tampa. Really needed that one. But we'll see what happens there. And it looks like uh, Ottawa's got Josh Norris back in the mix on Wednesday night playing uh, against the Washington Capitals. So good news there. So those are just a, just a couple, Alexis. And I, I think I have one last one for you. I know you were talking okay. today with Elliot Friedman about, uh, you know, the league decentralizing the NHL yes. draft. Yeah. What what is your opinion on a change like that? And I know that it was noted it's maybe an option because of how close free agency is to the draft. Correct. 100% correct. So a lot of teams, because everyone's favorite pastime in the NHL is complaining, uh, a lot of teams have sort of at every single level, broadcasters, players, <laughs> coaches, managers, yeah. owners, everybody complains at all time. Yeah, we all do it. So uh 
some teams um, feel that the draft, which is the 28th and the 29th, is too close to free agency, which is, of course, July 1st, because you're flying everybody into one location for two days of the draft and then peeling them right back for free agency. And they just feel it's 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 too close and it's too quick. Um, because tampering doesn't exist and all the deals get done starting on July 1st at 12 o'clock. No one talks beforehand. Right. right. Um, and so all, all this is, is it was a memo that was sent out um, today, which just gauged the interest in having the conversation about should they change the draft and sort of have every every so every team would essentially be in their own office for it. Uh, and then players would be either, you know, at a arena or a ballroom or wherever, mm-hmm. more along the lines of how the NFL and NBA do it. That way, teams can be at their home base. They don't have to worry about flying the entire staff all over the place and scrambling back for free agency. They can keep everybody at home base, you know, for those you know crucial few days leading up into to free agency. I don't know that it happens this year. Mm-hmm. More for 2025. Uh, they still don't have a home for the draft this year. I still think they want to do Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the That's Sphere has been mentioned, which would be seriously cool if they would pull that off. That. I was going to say, yeah. as someone that goes to the draft, I, I would ass- I would assume that you maybe prefer that not decentralizing it or I love the draft. It's yeah. one of my favorite days of the year. Like as yeah. far as like a tent, we always, th- we always you know talk about tent pool days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the draft is a tent pool day. Well, two days really. Mm-hmm. I'm I, going back to when I was a kid. I've always loved the draft. Yeah. Like it's it's the biggest thrill of being able to work the draft. I love the draft. I love how it's presented. I love the kids coming down from the stands and uh, the hugs and the tears and the the agent handshake and up to the post. Like I love all of it and anytime you can get 32 teams in the exact same location and trade talks start and that's where you start start that because i mean how many times have you heard okay so this trade just got made but the conversation about it started at the draft i think the more the more the more opportunities you can have to get teams and general managers in the same location because it's a lot different just like okay you and me are, are are talking versus you and me are on the phone or we're texting yeah it's a it's a lot different and it really does get different things rolling so any chance that i get to bark about how it's important to get gms together i will and that's one of the reasons why i love the draft but to me and i always catch myself might just sound like an old guy Am I just like Stadler and Waldorf from the Muppet Show saying, "Don't change it, just be grouchy. Everything's fine. Just leave it alone. Just leave the draft alone. Just yeah. leave it. It's so good the yeah. way they do it." I, I, it I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And this yeah. was my first draft this past summer. Uh, so yeah, I I agree entirely. But uh, picked a good one, Nashville man. Picked yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I got to. Uh, I I didn't see you there, but I did get to say hello to Elliot. So. I'm so sorry about that. It's okay. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you had to see Elliot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Hopefully he combed his hair. Uh, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. With a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Jeff, it was great having you back on Light the Lamp uh, to kick off this season. And uh, yeah. I will definitely get you that Paul Korea bobblehead once I get my hands on it. And hopefully you can and come I'm, in and sign this glass at some point, too. Okay. So we got the Korea bobblehead. Yes. We got the we got the sign the whiteboard, mm-hmm. and I gave you homework. Who got the real puck? Yes. Was I'll, it Jackson Lacombe or was it Pavel Minchikov? Report out. back. I will find Report out. back, Downey. Report back. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Giving you homework. Be good. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next time for more hockey talk on Duckstream presented by Gettle. And make sure to get your home cozy with Gettle Rejuvenation for just $129. We'll prep your HVAC for the season so you're ready to cheer on our ducks. Call 866-671-9822 or visit gettle.com slash ducks. G-O-E-T-T-L. We make comfort easy to spell. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.